Hi everyone, welcome to the Ninja Tune podcast. Today I'm joined by Luke Mark and Isaac Wood from the band Black Country New Road, whose debut album for the first time just came out on Ninja Tune, and Britt Wolford, the drummer and founder of the incredibly influential group Slint. I'm Isaac. <laughs> I'm Luke. Isaac is the singer of the band. Oh, right. And like it's also, uh, yeah, I thought we'd do long intros. Well, medium. He sings and plays guitar. I sing and play guitar. I'm Luke and I just play guitar and do not sing. Cool. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. Well, I um, was in Slint a long time ago, uh, played drums, and um, since then I've been in some bands. Uh, have a daughter who's uh, just going to college this year and um, still uh, playing some music. I'd like to begin by saying congratulations on the release of For the First Time and um, Britt, congratulations on Spiderland turning 30 years old next month, if you didn't know already. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. 30 years, wow. I also noticed that uh, Spiderland and For the First Time were both uh, six tracks long and 40 minutes in length, but that might be a coincidence, but... It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence. What do you think, Brett? Did, did you plan that in advance? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, there you go. Heard it here first. <laughs> so yeah, Black Country New Road and Slint are often compared to each other. And even on Science Fair, Isaac, you mocking, mockingly call yourself the world's second best slint tribute act. Um, the amount of fan and journalistic comparisons is pretty endless. So it's great to have you both chatting to each other. So yeah, because both groups are so often compared, I thought it'd be a nice idea for both bands or Britain, you two, to compile a list of albums that you were listening to, which either inspired your musical output that were important in some way or simply just what you were listening to during the time of recording. Uh, Britt, you've made a list of both uh, pre-Tweez and pre-Spiderland. Looking at the lists now, let's start with uh, pre-Tweez. It's pretty good uh, to talk about all the SST bands you've picked. Awesome. Uh, I think the first album that I picked was uh, Atomizer by Big Black. Big Black were a huge influence uh, on me. I was pretty much just in a Big Black uh, frame of mind <laughs> before we uh, recorded Tweez and while we were writing uh, a lot of the songs. It was kind of an interesting period to think about because it sort of seemed like an in-between period. Like when I started trying to think of the records that we were listening to at the time, um, I'm not sure about the other guys, but for me, it seemed like most of the records that I came up with really had been out for a few years, if not more, but it just seemed like it sort of reminded me that like sometimes there are periods where not a lot of new things come out or, or, or seem to be happening. And then other times lots of things come out, but the records I chose, you know, definitely just still were influencing me at that time, you know, later. Steve Albini produced that himself, do you know? Um, yeah, it sounds like uh, Atomizer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, that's a good question. I would think so. Yeah, I could go. I could go grab the record. I don't know if I could go 
It sounds, it's, it sort of sounds like him, the, the huge, it's gotta be him, it's gotta be him. Huge, ridiculous guitar sounds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's probably my favorite big black record, I think. And actually I had like a bit of a, I went back through a bunch of them recently, for some reason, I don't really remember why. I think it's because I've never really like given songs about fucking much of a chance. Because I always really liked Atomizer when I first heard it. But I went through like a bunch of the old EPs and those are actually really wicked as well. I don't think I've heard those. Yeah, there's like a, um, there's like a, co- I don't know if it's like streamable or anything. There's like a compilation they did of like the three EPs that they still liked when they shut the band down. I think it came out after the last album. Um, but yeah, I, I think they must all be produced by him because they all sound kind of the same. Like, I mean, you know, recording-wise. With those yeah. Crazy ones. Yeah. The huge drums and the like really like, you know, harsh metallic guitars and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I was also we were listening to this earlier today because um I was playing something off that album and Isaac said to put on that one track Passing Complexion, which I I still to this day can't really tell what's going on in that track. <laughs> it's such crazy sound. It sounds like there's synths on it and stuff. I think it's just guitars though. Like, I think it's like weird. It must be like samples or something. Samples, or like, something weird. Those like high pitch, yeah, screaming things. But with just on. like this sort of like soaring, almost like pop melody and like, yeah, that's a wicked track. Yeah, that's such a good track. But still really harsh at the same time. Like the abrasiveness, especially like listening to it after not having heard it for a long time, is really kind of shocking. It sounds like different from things nowadays. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about like what some of the records you picked out or? Do you want to get our list up either? Yeah, yeah. Well, sorry, just that we're not as prepared as we should be. <laughs> There's definitely a good uh, Albini connection between both lists. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, we do have, um, we do have, maybe we can talk about Sea Monsters a bit, which is, a bit later, that's an Albini produced record. Came out the same year as Spiderland, actually, we realized the other day when we were talking through some records today. So it's the 30th anniversary of that as well this year, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when me and Isaac used to play in a, in a band like re- when we were really young, and <laughs> I remember him hearing that record and like last minute before rehearsal being like, learn this song. <laughs> and then I was like sort of trying to play. I think it might be, might have been Sark of that record yeah, or something like that. I remember. Um, that's like a, a very long-lasting favorite of mine, Sea Monster. Yeah, it's been been up there. It's some of my favorite records for for a that's, long time. Man, that's awesome. I <clears throat> I had never heard that record, but I'd been curious about their wedding present because um, the drummer was actually uh, Slint's tour manager when we did reunion. Uh, oh, no way. Tours, yeah. Oh. And yeah, I wish I would have like know more about them and um so i could have talked to him about it um but yeah i I thought it was it was really cool to hear and really nice and uh yeah the production was was so albini i was like getting a a kick out it was just like well he's he's doing his thing you know oh yeah massively it sounds yeah, I mean it's just cool as well, you know. They sort of, I think their first record was like '87, 
or is it even earlier than that? Not, nah, yeah, I think it's about that probably, yeah. About 87, it's kind of, you know, very British. Maybe it's like very British, sort of like jangly stuff and, and, and sort of like happy pop and a lot of like sort of um, English um, sort of uh, scenery and, and, and symbols in the songs and stuff. Yeah, and it's got George, it's called George Best, named after a football player and it's got him on the front and stuff. It's very like, yeah, very, very English. Very <laughs> and then to sort of hear them like, I don't know, clearly get influenced by something probably happening, you know, over in the States. And then to sort of like uh, start incorporating these like huge guitars and that, you know, like that brilliant balance, the quiet and loud sections and, and then go over and, and get the best of the best to produce it. Yeah. And just like it's, yeah, a perfect album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the, you say about the quiet and loud thing, I really like the approach they have to it, which you don't hear a lot of people doing really. Um, I mean, a lot of people do clean guitar, quiet guitar, and they start really pounding on the drums. But what they seem to do all over this record is like, have a guitar that's already playing, and it just keeps playing, but they add a second one for the loud bit, instead of just making the first one really destroy. I think it's quite an interesting approach. Huh, um, yeah. But I mean, I, I think they, we went to see him one time. Um, I mean, Isaac's seen him quite a few times, actually. I only got to see him once. Uh, I think it was a, they do uh, like anniversary tours for all their albums still to this day. So it should be the 30th anniversary tour for Sea Monsters this year if um you know if things were back to normal. But yeah, it was a, they're fucking great live. They sound huge. I don't know how we all got into them, but somehow all our friends in Cambridge where we grew up were just into that band. It was our friend Maybe Jack, it was Jack. His yeah. dad, one of his dad's favourites. Our good friend Jack's dad got us into them. Um, yeah, I remember that gig like moshing around when we were like 17, and I had exams like the next day, and. Um, a friend of ours like shoved me and I bent my thumb backwards really bad and then had to go to the back of the gig and like slump against the wall because I thought I was going to pass out. Um, but then luckily, because of that, I went to the doctors and they gave me uh, gave me as much extra time as I wanted on my exams. So that was, oh. that was a handy moment. <laughs> Man, it's cool. <laughs> you mentioned the, uh, the loud, quiet thing, which is quite key in Albini's production. You know, there's, it goes sort of wall of sound and then to very sharp clarity, which both, which Slint are obviously famous for as well and Black Country do. I was wondering if uh, Brie wanted to talk about what it was like to work with Albini on, on Tweez. Um, it was <clears throat> really exciting. I think we were just such huge fans. We were um, sort of starstruck. Um, <clears throat> and it was really fun to... Um, go into the recording with sort of an open mind uh and we did a lot of experimentation just really off the cuff like we had um at one point like two mics in a room swinging from their chords like while uh brian was doing vocals and uh you know just lots of um experimentation i think at one point he actually even got tired of us he was like okay i've had enough <laughs> like um because we were pretty uh eager i think um yeah one guy in the band actually was really upset by the recording because it ended up um really like becoming such a big part of the songs and changing the uh vision that we had before that yeah that's and, interesting i was gonna i was thinking of asking before we did this actually but um how much how much of the track structurally was like in place before you recorded Tweez? Because it really sounds like there are so many crazy sounds on that record. I don't know, it's really hard to tell if 
those were sort of retrofitted to songs that were already structured in that way or if the song sort of like evolved from from the recording process almost i don't know if you have much to say on that but yeah i think um ironically there's a song called kent which was um the bass player's uh song and <clears throat> that was the one that almost seemed like the most planned out ahead of time and even though it does have like some pretty interesting effects on it um the rest of them like i i guess the effects the more weirder stuff came later they were just more stripped down when we went in. yeah that i guess the like the jazz sort of slight jazz influence is something that i thought was interesting with your all's music like i don't really hear necessarily that much jazz it's probably just maybe horns making me think that but somewhat it it's sort of like I, i could almost see more of a connection with um like tweez um or something you know yeah 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 i think so too maybe like there's something um with tweez like it's sort of uh some of the the crazy shifts in like tempo and pace and like sort of uh and style and everything like uh it definitely mirrors it's definitely like it's got something of that almost like something slightly like funny as well as being just not not funny but so like uh, absurd like the switches are so ridiculous sometimes that definitely reminded me of some of the stuff that we do and and it was a yeah big big parallel i saw there yeah i was curious like i read in an interview you guys did somewhere um someone said that like and i don't remember it might have been one of you guys um said that like you sort of wanted the the record to capture like where you were during the first 18 months of the band and like it to me it just made it it was it, it was really cool because i thought it sounded um like realistic like this thing that's just developing really quickly and like you're just sort of getting a snapshot of it and by the time you're talking about it it's already like a different time you know is that how it was like um kind of recording that record just yeah, like definitely. yeah yeah we were playing a lot and, and things were changing really quickly and then we went in we came off of a tour and then we went straight into the studio and recorded it all in six days and then started playing shows again and so it was like you know completely dependent on you know because of how some of the shows were maybe the week before the song sounded different and and yeah so it's sort of it doesn't feel like a very grand thing in a way or like an album album you know it's just got this this sense of just having recorded for documentary sake what, what was going on at a, at a certain period you know yeah and that's cool i thought another um interesting comparison uh is that after steve albini you went to work with brian paulson on spiderland and i remember saying in the um in the breadcrumb trail documentary how it was a, you recorded it you know with minimal overdubs very quickly and then that's sort of similar to how black country started with with dan kerry and his doctrine of one night recording and um you know making it sound how it does live Man, I was I was really I really like that about your all's record. Um, like it reminds me, it sounds like stripped down at as at the same time that it sounds like a lot is going on. Um, and I think that's it's really neat that you guys sort of captured it that way. Um, it does sound 
like really finished and like like you you know achieved like a like grand visions and stuff but at the same time it seems it, it reminds me of like um bands when they would just be like guitar and, and drums and singing kind of thing when you've got like seven instruments going there's like uh, i guess there's a few ways you can choose to record that but um if you want to sort of catch everything on a sort of level playing field, then there's not really, there's no room really to add a, <laughs> to add a bunch of um, hugeness anywhere and, and do loads of overdubs and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, I think it, it does kind of, I know what you mean, it's, it's, it's stripped down in the sense that everything individually is um, kind of dry and, and just as it is. But um, yeah, together it sort of makes a, a big noise of its own, which is, uh, which is nice and kind of the only way you can approach it, I think. Yeah, and thank you for saying that because that is definitely what we wanted it to sound like. <laughs> it's good that it sounds like that to you. That's cool, yeah. I'm going to talk about some of the other uh, bands in the list pre, pre-Tweezbrit. Sure. Yeah, Saccharin Trust. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man, I just listened to that record again last night. It, I really love that band. I don't know, they, they were pretty, pretty unique, like, a standout band from SST, even though they, you can tell they're an SST band by the way they sound and stuff. Um, I, I, I got to see them live and it was just really one of the best shows I'd ever seen. I, yeah, they were just a huge, huge influence. Yeah, that's the, one of the ones on the list I haven't heard of actually. Uh, yeah, I don't think. No, neither me nor Isaac had ever, ever heard of them before, interestingly. <laughs> we don't have much to say on no, that no. one. Yeah. What's yeah. their setup? They do have uh, sax sometimes, and the rest of the time it's just guitar, drums, bass, and vocals. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Other ones, uh, yeah, Minutemen. Um, actually, maybe saw Saccharin Trust with the Minutemen, but um, yeah, Minutemen were like just a huge, really big influence for many years um and double nickels was just like a huge i guess event and let's see i mean as far it i i do feel like um some of the like clean guitar um maybe influence we had might have come from the minutemen yeah that's interesting i think i've heard that somewhere before but like um, maybe it was even you saying it but they really sound nothing like slint or anything that came after to me do you know do you know what i mean it's very 80s sounding record to me um yeah uh, yeah it's definitely an approach to making an album as well that people don't really do anymore it's about a million songs on it it's like <laughs> you know when people make an hour and a half record now it's like people like us who just like to write 10 minute songs <laughs> but theirs is like 42 minute songs you know which is kind of cool yeah um, yeah i mean and there there just really weren't many bands playing with clean guitars back then so it was a big deal, you know. The first Minutemen song I heard was was Cohesion, which is like the beautiful finger-picking song. I was like, oh, this is really lovely. It's like sort of like John Fahey, American Primitive. And then I went on Double Nickels and it was like, whoa, it was such a like nice shock. That, that was the first yeah. song I heard of theirs. Huh. Wow. Do you know what album that is off? Cohesion? Yeah, that's on Double Nickels. It's the one after Vietnam. So, so it goes pretty heavy to pretty light very quickly. Awesome. Yeah, I, I see um, Husker do here. Um, I mean, that that 
that album's in arcade that I listed it was also a double album and just like a huge event like seemingly at least correlated to both of those um, double nickels on the diamonds and arcade being double albums it just they were like huge uh, events um, I don't even know how that would influence you know any of us but <laughs> inspiring <laughs> yeah there does seem to be uh, thinking back there is quite a lot of there's quite a lot of long records by bands like that from that time like Sonic Youth started making really long records in the late 80s didn't they for a bit yeah maybe it will come back yeah <laughs> long form rock record the, the guided yeah. by voices style when it's like 40 tracks and they're like all minute long <laughs> yeah oh man I love that band guided by voices yeah and then also making a million albums as well as all of them having yeah. 40 tracks. That's the Guided by Voices route. An album a year and it's like a song a week, basically. Yeah. Man, that that Wedding Present album is really long. Like, I, I assume that was a double album. Yeah, yeah it must be. Loads of their records are like over an hour. Seemingly. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that one as well, like, uh, probably, I don't know if it's because it was maybe not released in huge numbers originally, but everywhere you see it, it's like the deluxe sort of version where it's got a bunch of extra stuff chucked on. But it's probably still an hour, you know? Yeah. Actually, or maybe, well, maybe not. Deluxe actually. is an hour and eight minutes. So okay, actually, yeah. it's probably, 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 it's still quite a long record though, yeah. Yeah. And they seem to do a lot of weird, a weird approach to the deluxe thing. Uh, what, what was it called? The, uh, the thing where they did a single- Hit um, Parade. The Hit Parade, yeah. They yeah, wanted to like it? break Elvis's record, I think, for having yeah. a, it was something like a, a single in the charts for every, like in the in the top 10 or top 40 for every month of brand new single for like 12 months, once a month in a year. And I think they did break his record. Yeah, that, I, well, in the UK at least. In the yeah. UK, yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And then, you know, compiled it on an album, I think, yeah. Um, and yet still, they're still not like, a popular band, really, <laughs> unfortunately. It, it seems like bands can be more popular in the UK than, than they can here. Like here, it's just more mainstream, you know, radio music is huge. And there's a, it mm. seems like there's a bigger difference between that level and like indie rock level than there is mm. in the UK. Uh, yeah, there's like, if, you know, if you're in the right place and stuff like that, there's a, there can be a lot of, um, a lot of attention sort of shone on to just smallish bands, um, you know, just who are playing in their local venues because, uh, you know, England is just small, I guess, and has only a few centers. Mm. And, uh, you know, definitely the moment, you know, it's uh, or just before all of this, it sort of, it did seem, yeah, it seemed as though there's a lot of, lot of attention for even people just starting out, you know, and, and a platform for them as well, which is cool. Yeah. And I guess just because of the size of the UK as well, like most places that you live in the UK, you can get to like London or Manchester or like Glasgow, all of which are quite big places for gigs. So if you're lucky enough to be able to get a gig there, you can probably physically get to the place to play it. You in know? like five hours. Like. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got a good chance of like, you know, getting more gigs in that city or whatever. Um, just purely because yeah. of the size, which is really lucky, you know. Speaking of the, uh, the English... American Divide. Uh, I found it quite interesting that on your list, uh, Luke and Isaac, all but uh, the wedding present are American bands or American musicians. And you also have um, oh, yeah, interesting. you also have this, the line in the new album about singing 
not seeing an English accent. I was wondering if you just sort of if you just generally have a more of a uh, influenced by American bands more. Yeah, I think. God, it's hard to say now. I might be making yeah. that completely up, but I feel like maybe the majority of the music I listen to is an, is American. It was definitely mostly English when we were younger. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a period when we liked really sort of local, local yeah. alternative, not local, but you know, sort of British alternative and uh, post-punk music and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, really. We put Nevermind by Nirvana on there, and I remember me and Isaac, like we were both obviously into that record when we were younger. It's just one of the rock records that like any any parent has in the house, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember listening to that, bringing it into school and like playing it on a Friday when we got free time and shit like that. And then when we were friends, when we were like 14 again, I remember like one of us listening to it or like one of our mates listening to it and being like, have you heard Nirvana recently? That's fucking great. <laughs> it sort of comes in cycles, it comes back around. So I think, you know, when you're, where a lot of people in the UK discover all of the, you know, great alternative music from the UK, from the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, around that age when you tend to discover all of the alternative stuff, like 15, you know, maybe like teenage years, basically. But then, you know, you can just go back to these these huge records, like Nevermind, and realise they're still really great. I was listening to all of the Nirvana stuff over Christmas, and it's still like, I think they're still some of the biggest sounding records for me, which sounds ridiculous, but like, you know, um, both Nevermind and In Utero just sound absolutely insane still, to me at least. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I was just listening to to Nevermind and playing it for my daughter over Christmas too. And just, oh, nice. just being blown away by how great they are, you know, or they work. Yeah, it sounds absolutely epic. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like really close double tracking on stuff and like... Yeah, it's interesting actually because it like... Even on, um, I know they re-record or like remix some of the stuff on a utero, but a lot of it's got that Albini sounding like drum sound and stuff. Absolutely huge booming, like really like punchy snares and stuff that you would get on like any of the records you produce around that time. Um, but it also then has a kind of pop style double track vocal over yeah, the top, yeah. which is kind of a, a rare combination, but it does sound really wicked. Um, I think it was an interesting move for them. <clears throat> whilst being the biggest band. <laughs> <laughs> Man, one yeah. thing that I thought was really cool with your all's record was it seemed like you you blended like produced electronic sound with natural sound in a really seamless way. And I always I always liked that. Like in the eighties when people like Madonna like you know, you know, she, her her music has real drums, but it's like, are they is that are they really real? You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and your 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 all stuff doesn't sound like at all artificial, but it just seemed like uh, very seamless that way. I thought that was really really neat. Oh, awesome! Oh, thank you. On the record that you chose in the in the flat this morning oh while having God. a cup of coffee, it's so good. <laughs> it sounds amazing, doesn't it? It's like what's that? Like a prayer, the, the Madonna album. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We're listening to that over breakfast. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd only heard the the title track I think before, which yeah, I mean, sounds ridiculous. Just I don't, I mean, I don't know how how much of it, like you're saying, is is like uh, is real drums or 
you know, uh, real musicians or whatever like that. But, you know, if it is a band, it's possibly one of the tightest bands in existence. For some yeah. of it. it sounds so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I was saying to Isaac earlier, I don't know if this is made up or possibly the other side of the coin, like completely common knowledge, except for me and Isaac. But uh, <laughs> I read it in a, I'm pretty sure it was in an interview with Thurston Moore saying that, in like the early 80s, Madonna was in a bunch of like no wave bands in New York before she became like the biggest pop star in the world. Um, and uh, apparently was in a band with two of the original members of Swans, which I don't know <laughs> if that's bullshit or if that's actually true, but he said it, I think. <laughs> so, wow. That sounds, I mean, imagine like, uh, imagine like Filth or something, but with Madonna singing over it. That'd be, yeah, that'd be cool. that's really funny. <laughs> I was going to say, Luke, it's funny that you should mention Albini with, with Nirvana because have you seen those photos that um, Albini sent Kurt Cobain with like hand-drawn drawings about how to mic up the drum kit everything? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I saw it in a Nardwar interview and, and it's like, is it in, um, it's in Kurt Cobain's journals or whatever? That yeah, yeah, that's it. He's, I think it's like he's drawn these diagrams of like ideas for miking amps and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And um, they're showing it to Albini, and he's like, "These are terrible ideas. Like, I don't know why." There's like a drawing of like a of like a, a tom or something with a hole cut out the bottom and a mic inside it, and like these like hand scrawled pencil drawings by, by Kurt Cobain. I think sent to Albini. I mean, maybe they used it. So the drums do sound good. So I like uh, I like the inclusion of um, Madonna on your list, Brit, because it's um. It does just show that, like, you know, there's some groups that transcend any sort of pretension when it comes to just how good, like, the pop music is. Like, KLF famously, like, love ABBA. I think ABBA are the best band ever. And, um, you know, also on your list, uh, you've chosen um, Taylor Swift, who's sort of, you know, started off quite folky, but now has come to represent the, you know, the pinnacle of the American mainstream. But mm. it's But it's good music, and... Yeah, you know, everyone wants to write a good song, I think. I'm surprised I was into Madonna. I was just sort of introduced to her by my girlfriend um, growing up. And it's cool when people make, you know, big sounding things, I think. There's that, I think there's like the track three on that record, Love Song. Is uh, I was, I mean, I'd never heard that before. And I was really blown away with how... Um, like how funny and sort of almost self-conscious like the production is like it's very much playing into the the technology of the time in the 80s and stuff like that with using all these like funny very quick snippet samples and like crazy gated drum sounds and all that sort of stuff like that it sounds sounds really really surprisingly modern uh still today and yeah i don't know who else is singing on it but um yeah it's uh that's a really, really special track, actually. I'm going to remember that one, I think, for a long time. Man, that's cool. Yeah, um, she has um, a record. Oh, man, I'm going to have to look up the name of it. Um, it's, like, really self-conscious. Um, there's There was a song, uh, Vogue, that was on it. Um, yeah. Um, Vogue's a classic. Yeah. Man, it was on it. I wish I could remember the album um dang 
Yeah, sorry. It's not. Well, you, know, you know what? I'm... You said write home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying to the uh, to the listeners to write in if they know what album it's on. Oh, cool. We can't find it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was watching the yeah, the breadcrumb trail documentary again and i really loved the bit at the end when your parents brought are getting all the letters and uh you know because you put your address on the back of the record and um, yeah and they said that pj harvey could have she, she was one of the letters right uh yes she did pretty cool oh, <laughs> yeah totally oh, <laughs> yeah i've forgotten about that bit i haven't seen that documentary in a while we um when we were like we're having to sign a bunch of records. Isaac put his own phone number on a couple of them. I don't know if they ended up going out. <laughs> but uh, I don't think we would have got a message from PJ Harvey if it had. <laughs> and also Lewis, I think, was on one of them. Yeah, yeah. So if you got that one, don't... Yeah, don't. That okay, Lewis scribbled that out. If, yeah, yeah. If that, you... that was an homage to Spiderland. Yeah. <laughs> Writing the number on there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool, um, man. There's a there is a um, movie about the Beatles' secretary. It's called something like Finding Our Our Frida was her name. Um, man, it is amazing. Like it's called Good Old Frida, and um, like she was their secretary and just during their period of being a band like they answered like all of their fan mail and like by hand and all this it's really amazing it's a really neat movie God, we need to check that out yeah that sounds great yeah we, we've been sort of um we've returned to the beatles in quite a big way over the past few months actually mm. um yeah we we've got a sort of like semi Beatles themed living room at the moment. We've got a big Paul McCartney poster up, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, pictures of Ringo and stuff, <laughs> which sounds like a joke, but is actually the case. <laughs> um, yeah, we're very excited for that new. Uh, I don't know what it's called actually. But the, back, the Beatles for is it called Get Back? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that new Beatles film that um, Peter Jackson is making with the footage from. Is the original film called Let It Be? Or is the new one called Let It Be? Or? I think the original's Let It Be, this one's Get Back, possibly. But. Right, yeah. Whichever one Peter Jackson is making at the moment, the uh, the teaser trailer for that looks amazing. So them having a great time in the studio, playing playing together. Laughing around. Joking around, yeah. Hanging out with uh, Yoko and Linda. Yeah, yeah. Drinking cups of tea. It looks fantastic. It's really cool. And <laughs> the footage is like super high quality. And yeah, they, they said they have like 58 hours of it from the whole uh, the whole recording of Let It Be, basically. Man. Yeah, so. That's awesome. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. I, um, I really liked the... Um, did you guys see the uh, Bob Dylan documentary that Martin Scorsese did? Um, oh, No Direction mm-hmm. Home. Uh, no, the, the Rolling Thunder Review. Yeah, yes. No, like that seventy score. Oh, right, right. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. That actually, I think I've only seen like, like half of it. I think I we were watching it before we went for a festival. I was falling asleep on the sofa. Oh yeah, I remember that. But I, someone told me that um, there's like made up characters in it and stuff that like, mm. I don't know if this is true. I should really go and watch it. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, there were like made up characters who, uh, who were telling sort of like fake stories about Bob in the seventies and stuff like that. 
I don't know if that's the case, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, I feel like there's another. I feel I feel like there's another one that he did. Maybe it's I don't know, or possibly that one just has some of the same footage in from it. But I feel like No Direction Home is like a, a '60s one. But uh, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah, support our mic better. He did No Direction Home. The it's like a series, I think. I remember seeing a clip of him. Um, they're sort of asking him to talk about it, and he's like, "Well, what do you want me to say? <laughs> like, I don't even remember what happened. Like, how are we supposed to make a documentary?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. Speaking of uh, Dylan, though, you got um, blood on the tracks on your list as well. But what do you do? You have any more to say about Dylan in, in general? I mean, that record is like maybe my one of my longest-standing favorite records. I think. I think I've made, I first listened to it when I was about 14 and um, I just, yeah, it's just crazy. It's just crazy how good some of the songs are. There's only like one dud on there, which is like a weird sort of 12 bar blues called Meet Me in the Morning, which is a, a bit... <laughs> I like that song. Right, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to it, but every other song is just masterful, you know, and all these long, like six, seven minutes sort of rambling epics, like Larry's imagery in them, you know, sometimes these really close kind of relatable personal uh, anecdotes and then these like weird grand like you know sort of almost like mythological uh, creatures and stuff like that and it's really cool and uh, yeah I listened to it again recently and um, I guess most of my life I'd just been hearing how good the songs were but uh, it's a really cool sounding record as well because it feels like there's about six people playing acoustic guitar all at the same time <laughs> and so it has this really crazy sort of weird uh, very full but like everything's recorded quite dry and classically so it's this strange uh, sort of mess of noise but um and some terrible terrible harmonica playing <laughs> yeah it's interesting you say that about the lyrics actually i hadn't thought about that but i was playing blonde on blonde the other day and i really love that album but even on the really beautiful songs like uh like visions of joanna or something there are some hilariously ridiculous lyrics <laughs> like as it almost like he knew what he could get away with at the time <laughs> Um, and I think Blonde on Blonde is like definitely the most personal album he's done up till then mm. and maybe ever. Yeah. But he still does those sort of like quite funny lyrical things, but they make a lot more sense alongside some really confessional style stuff as well. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's just how you experience stuff, isn't it? You know, when it's you going through it or you, you living something, then uh, mm. sometimes uh, some obscene mythology might be uh, more fitting, I guess. Than, um... <laughs> And just uh, you know, straight up words. Yeah, I guess that's a quite a common theme between um, your like both Black Country New Roads music and Slint's music is it's quite um, filmic almost. It's it is grand and it does take you on a bit of a story, and that's in both the music and the lyrics, which is also a key feature of quite a lot of the bands you've picked as your list, like the um, Texas Jerusalem concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and Britt, you you actually sang quite a few on a few songs on Spiderland, didn't you? Um, yeah, it's like talking vocals. Mm-hmm. How and when you came up with the lyrics, was that more sort of improvised, or did you did you write a story beforehand? Yeah, it was beforehand. I think um, I think the album sort of ended up that way, and. Um, the mind of the singer so um, he sort of like came up with the song order and like we left off a song that didn't seem to, to fit you know. oh, okay 
yeah, in the Texas Jerusalem crossroads and in Spiderland and stuff like that, the sort of um, the sort of weird, the long passages and the crazy sort of um, dynamics, but like kind of making up, you know, using sort of weird techniques and and bizarre sounds and sort of strange format, making something that in its end is like uh, almost like classically recognizable as a whole thing, just because of the um, the sort of arcs of the stories and like the um, I don't know, you feel like you've just consumed something pretty. Um, pretty hefty and um, pretty intense. I mean, that was, you know, I mean, without stuff like that, there's, uh, I don't know, that's definitely, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Spiderland and Texas Jews from Crossroads really inspired me in those ways, definitely, like uh, wanting to make a, wanting to make that big sort of dramatic, um, epic feeling, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that Texas Jerusalem Crossroads band is ama amazing, or that record, I've, I haven't listened to all of it, but it was, I thought it was really, really neat. Yeah, it's really long. It's like 21 tracks, I think. It's quite long. I don't know if there's even that many tracks, but it's, they're all quite long. All oh, right. And also there's one that has like, that has loads of silence at the end. I don't think there's even a secret track. I think it's just got 10 minutes of silence tacked on <laughs> to the last song. Um, I think it's in Into the Storm. It's like really epic closing track and then just 10 minutes of silence. So. Maybe just to put people off when they start listening, they're like, oh, this track's 18 minutes, like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd definitely say like that, that and like the more storytelling style Slint songs um, both do like a, a really cool thing in that they, they have a lyrical narrative and then sort of leave gaps that which are filled in by dynamic moments musically, you know, which I, I always thought was like a really cool technique for for making an actual story kind of more universal by not like giving the listener absolutely everything, you know? And like some of it being, some of the moments being filled in by dynamics rather than yeah. like specific words, you know? Yeah, finishing the sentence with like a just distorted guitar. Yeah, you're not <laughs> saying like, and then everything went wrong. It's just it's like, like <laughs> <laughs> On uh, your list, Brett, uh, for the Spiderland section of it, we've got some, uh, not uh, surprising, but I guess just maybe a bit less punky, like uh, the Neil Young choice, and obviously like ACDC. We were just like make great rock bangers. And I feel like I've heard you said in an interview that was like, you thought it was like, the best album of all time, maybe. Was that right? Uh, Back in Black? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you look doubtful now, Brett. <laughs> I can't <laughs> No, I no, I'm not I'm not doubtful. Yeah, I think I think definitely definitely one of the best of all time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain weight to adding of all time, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's implied anyway. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah it's a badass it's a badass record yeah it's truly badass <laughs> we had a really cool stereo at our apartment when uh the singer brian and i lived together um in college the year before we recorded spider-man and that record just sounded so good on that stereo um mm. i think that the guitar sounds were like 
really in our heads. <laughs> mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's really uh, we, when we were listening to it before, um, we we're playing it through our stereo here, and uh, everything we put on after sounded way quieter. Oh yeah, it's, it's really a, loud. really loud record. <laughs> Um, huh. Which yeah, you know that's that's badass. <laughs> if you can, huh? why not? Yeah. I remember hearing a story that um, that the guitars on that record they were like really not satisfied with how they sounded, so they kept putting them back through the studio monitors and recording that, miking the studio monitors oh, to wow. get them just sounding the double tracked. So it was exactly the same take, but it was like double tracked like that with just a bit of room noise. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but I read it somewhere. <laughs> they do sound cool those guitars, mm. and it's just the whole thing is just ridiculous. Though. Yeah, everything about <laughs> I mean, everything about ACDC is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some hilarious track titles on that album. <laughs> <laughs> some questionable choices. But, uh, you shook me all night long. Is a uh, personal favorite on there. I think I remember really liking that song when I was like 13. Yeah, like, it's just awesome, isn't it? Is it? Like, awesome song. I'm trying to think if we have anything that's like you could put in the same echelon of like the best rock albums. I guess Nirvana is like the the one on there that's like just true bangers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is crazy. If you, when you listen back to it, like every song on that Nirvana album is amazing. But yeah, Neil Young as well. Me and Isaac actually got to see, and Tyler was with us as well, um, who plays in the band. Um, went to a Hyde Park gig like two years ago, was that? Mm. Where it was Neil Young, Bob Dylan, double headline <laughs> thing, which was really cool. Yeah. And, uh, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Neil Young played first, right? Yeah, Young. and he he finished with um, he finished with "Keep on Rocking in the Free World." <laughs> oh man! And he just kept like they would finish the track, and then like ten seconds later, he would like nod to the band, and they would all go back into the chorus again. Yeah, and, it would, and it, he did it literally like ten times. Yeah, it was literally ten. Like, and it would go like, yeah, one, two, three, four. Keep on rocking in the free world. And it's like, it's kind of a lame song, really. But like, (laughs) it's so It did it enough times at the end that it became, it was like funny the first time. And then it became like not funny again. And then it became funny again. And then they stopped at the right moment. Yeah, it just became really Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah. After after that gig, we were playing. uh, in Man- <laughs> we were playing in in, a, in Manchester, and I was so inspired by this moment that, like, at the end of our last song at the set, without sort of planning it at all, I sort of presumed everyone would just know what I was going for, and I was like, "One, two, three, and sort of you know to go back into it, and like no one knew what I was doing, and then I also came in on like the wrong chord and sort of just played like a bit of a chorus in the wrong time by myself, but they just sort of ended. No, we did go back into it, but it was just a bit messy. Oh man! Yeah, I forgot about that. That was funny. <laughs> There's a record. That video is out there as well. Oh man! As well, we're playing basketball shoes at, in Manchester. Yeah, no, that was um, that was funny. that was an embarrassing moment, but uh, <laughs> I just had to do it. It was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen to go, <laughs> go back into the chorus of your big hit like ten times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Jonathan Richmond has done that as well on the Ice Cream Man song when he just goes back into that really twee line but but he does it for like four minutes and it's so annoying <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i know that one yeah i can't think of that song either he's a funny one jonathan richmond he's got a combination of sort of like almost offensively cool songs <laughs> and then like really really funny like kind of super twee 
songs. Well, it's really Vel- weird. They just love the Velvet Underground. Though, yeah, it's yeah. such a Velvet Underground thing. Yeah. That would make sense. That twee, epic twee vibe. Mm. Oh, that's Stooges record. Oh, yeah. you put, Yeah, that's funny, actually. That's on there. Because um, we were trying to think of albums to put on ours. And I said to Isaac, oh, how about the Stooges? Um, but it was already on your list. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I wasn't necessarily thinking of the first one, but listening to it back, it is, it's really, really great record. We we'd totally forgotten about that, like, what's the song called? Is it No Age or something? The, like, 10-minute one that, like, almost got, like, this mantra going through it. That's a really cool track. But, yeah, I always I was always into, like, Funhouse and, like, Search and Destroy. I don't know why. But um, This is cool, though, like, straight This up. is probably cool, though, isn't it? Moody, moody <laughs> rock and roll, but with yeah, yeah. awesome guitar sounds. Man, it- yeah, it does seem amazing, like, just that record getting made, um, like, by recorded by John Cale, like, just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, he did an amazing job, I don't know how he did it, you know. Yeah, it sounds amazing, and it, it seems almost like, because the Velvet Underground had been around for a few years by that point anyway, so it yeah, seems quite well, quick. <laughs> we're about to end, basically. Yeah. <laughs> or about to, you know, zero. Mm. But yeah, apparently, um, apparently, uh, there's a the John Cale mixes are kind of like I was reading about this because I didn't know that John Cale produced it earlier today. Um, the John Cale original mixes are like based on the style of the Lou Reed's own mixes for the self-titled Velvet Underground album, uh. which are called the Closet Mixes because <laughs> they sound like they were recorded in a closet. Apparently, um, but <laughs> apparently, what he did, there were already mixes of that Velvet Underground record. And then Lou Reed did his own where he just turned up his vocal and his guitar really loud <laughs> and turned everyone else down. <laughs> uh, I think they're still accessible. So I haven't I haven't heard those, but that sounds kind of badass. That is so funny. Because there's also that Lou Reed album, uh, that like live record of like a Velvet Underground gig, but it's just a mic inside the back of Lou Reed's amp. And that's the only, the only device used to record it, which is quite funny. That's a Velvet Underground? Show? I think so. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I uh, know where it is. But it's one of those sort of myths slash jokes that I've heard people talk about for ages. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe mic, it doesn't exist. The mic inside his amp, but, it, but that I mean, could just be a total lie. Yeah, but that's yeah. This dude's album. It, it seems almost impossible to believe it was made in 1969. Yeah, <laughs> I also think it's really cool. They have a track called 1969, as if to hammer <laughs> home the fact that they're really ahead of the time. <laughs> That, that album is cool though like like you're saying that mantra song i think it's called we will fall um i remember like i loved that song first time i heard it but then when i read about the album apparently it's just complete album filler to like to make it an lp instead of an ep and they were like oh, let's, let's make this 10 minutes long but it really works and it sort of sets the precedent <laughs> of like similar stuff that, that you guys are doing you know with the with a nice soft gentle one to sort of break up the tension they accidentally invented it yeah. yeah that's cool considering that's what they were trying to do it's quite cool they put it really near the start of the record <laughs> yeah to really te- if they didn't think it was any good really test people's patience like mm. early on yeah you can tell john kale had his hand in that one as well <laughs> yeah yeah <it> <laughs> suddenly there's like yeah. a sitar or something like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, iggy started as a drummer actually in the band the iguanas do you know that brit um oh y- yeah i have not ever heard that though he, um, there's a great photo of um, when he used to be a drummer, but he was still the front man and he was like 
they made like scaffolding on the stage so the the drum kit was like 10 feet higher like taller than above everyone else <laughs> so it was, it was pretty destined that he was going to become become a star <laughs> wow. man i i really like um the video for sunglasses i don't know who made that but i thought that was really neat and you guys were saying we were talking about how a lot of your choices on the list were american and it seemed like not all of but a lot of the videos in that video are, are from america right yeah 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 did did some did one of you guys make the video or there's a, there's a friend of ours no. who, who made it um called bart but um I mean, we'd kind of been doing some stuff a little bit like that, and, and, and he had two, you know, just making films and music videos for, for artists and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, so, I mean, so much of the stuff that you consume is American. And, you know, like, yeah, like you said, like so many of, so much of our favorite music is American and TV programs and films and stuff like that. I kind of like that it almost becomes kind of universal, you know, because everyone, everyone watches like American TV shows or, listens to American music and um, so like I think it's nice to, to use those, those pictures and stuff like that which become almost like a, a universal symbol you know, for, for not for everyone but for, for a few people anyway you know cool. yeah. yeah also the fact that it's like it feels really universal but then it's kind of like still really flat and that's like the whole stock thing kind of yeah captures that because it's not it's not really what our lives are like <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you can kind of like, you get something out of that anyway, just growing up with all, you know, so much American stuff on the TV and like American music in the cans. Yeah. <laughs> wow, man, it's cool. Man, well, it was, it was really great um, uh, meeting you guys and, and listening to your record, man. It's really amazing. I like it a lot. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks. It really, really means the world to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're, uh, we're big fans. and uh... Yeah, it's been really cool to talk to you. And uh, <laughs> I can't say much more than that. No, just like... Keep on rocking in the free world. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> now I have to say it One, ten more two, times, <laughs> and then leave ten minutes of silence at the end. <laughs> yeah, a little secret interview at the end. <laughs> All right, yeah, it's been really great. Hope awesome. to see you soon, Brett. Take yeah, care, man. Bye. Yeah, definitely. Thanks see for ya. everything.